Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Belle, directed by Ama Asante and released in 2013. Belle is based on the real-life story of Dido Elizabeth Bell, the illegitimate mixed-race daughter of a Royal Navy Admiral raised by her aristocratic great-uncle, Lord Mansfield, best known as the Lord Chief Justice who, ru- who ruled slavery illegal in England. The story of the movie is Belle negotiates coming of age as an aristocratic woman of colour in Georgian England as another of her uncle's important anti-slavery, anti-slavery cases plays out in the background. Did you get that the thing about the who her parents were off IMDb? Uh, the, like, no. Because um, I got it off somewhere and then I was like, how come it only ever mentions her dad? Uh She's the daughter of Sir John Lindsay and an enslaved woman. But I believe the enslaved woman's name, her surname was Bell, which yes. is why she's known as Dido Bell. Um, yeah. Because her mother's last name is Bell. But I- so she's, her full name is Dido Elizabeth Bell Lindsay. So yeah. her mother's her mother was known as something, Maria Bell or some such thing? Um, yeah. I, so I didn't know exactly. So I didn't want to assume. And also I wrote it and then I read more about it because <laughs> I was I was too busy reading what the what exactly the uncle had done and if – it was as it was said to be and what cases and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What happened in the history books and what's – it's it sort of changed a little bit to yeah. the movie. Well, it so, would be dramatised. Yeah. Well, I mean, like they've moved things around. Like Divinia yeah. comes into her life younger and uh, is less involved in the slavery case. Um, there's some things like she was more involved with her uncle's work. She did a lot more of his – she was like a secretary to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's other things like she did actually manage parts of the property for a while and – that was considered, you know, to be suitable for someone in her position and all that kind of stuff, not necessarily a pensioning her off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But she was over 30 when she married um, Davinia in real life. She died not long after it, from what I read. She yeah, died she, about 11 years. Yeah, after she got married. She had three sons and then she uh, – And she might have had more kids, but they didn't write them down. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she and Davinia had at least three sons, but she died, yeah, when they were still small and Davinia mm-hmm. remarried and – had other kids. So, oh, I want to, I've got this fun fact I want to share with you, but this might not be the best time to share it. So, do you know who was supposed to play Davinia but had to drop out? Who? Sam Claflin. Oh, my God. I know. See, now that would have been so much better. I love Sam Claflin, as you know. <laughs> I love him too, and it really would have lifted the movie because I think both of us didn't really like the love interest because he no. was – and Sam Claflin was wonderful, dull. and he was so good in the Hunger Games. Yeah, he um, would have been fant- he would have been so good for that part. That would. kind of passionate young uh, lawyer kind of guy. Yeah, that would have been really good for him. I'm a bit sad that he wasn't able to play that part. Passionate didn't so much come across in the movie, really. Sam Reed, who plays John Davinia, who was supposed to be this character who is passionate and wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, Tom Wilkinson mm. as as Dido's great uncle gives him this whole speech about how he should um shouldn't wear his heart on his sleeve and he should be more protective of his emotions and I'm like what emotions the guy has two settings monotone and shouty <laughs> pretty much that's it mm. like the he's he's just terrible he like, in he this. furrows his brows if he needs to look intense and he and and turns up the volume Ooh. or he just kind of stands there and is very stiff like he's pretending to be like he's pretending not to show emotion, but he really just isn't showing any emotion. <laughs> exactly. It, it seems like he's uh. it, he he look he's trying to look like he's keeping his emotions in, but it really look, just looks like he doesn't have any, yeah. and he might be slightly constipated. And it kind of lets the whole team down because he's the less interesting love interest, even though the other love interest is clearly a dick. 
Well, I mean, he's yeah, he becomes clearly a jerk. Like when he when he's introduced, he seems quite nice. Mm. Right? Like when he's first introduced, he doesn't seem that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, it seems like his brother is the yeah, bad and one, so and then for it quite comes some out. Time you want, yeah, you'd rather like you almost rather have her end up with the aristocrat guy because at least he's got a bit of personality about him. And it would <laughs> well, have that been guy a I different was movie. quite a good actor. Like he brought some yeah. charm and wit to this character. You know, he made he made you want to like him, which is something that Sam Reed clearly doesn't you know have the facility mm. for. And it it's a real letdown, and it, you can imagine how much better of a film it would have been with Sam Claflin in that role. Yes, so much Sam better. Would have and been if great. they didn't have Tom Felton too, because Tom Felton's a terrible actor, <laughs> and it was he was not very well done. He was he was Draco Malfoy in a wig. Yeah, but Draco Malfoy is a bad performance too. Like none of these are good. But he doesn't. He just he just like says his lines fast and loud. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't, there's just nothing. And with a sneer. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget the sneering. The sneering is important. Like uh, anyway, like. Well, I mean, yeah, Tom lovely Felton guy, was, but not a good actor. Well, he was like twelve mm. when he became Draco Malfoy, mm. and that's pretty much he's all, all he's ever been asked to do. So, mm. so he's not really cut out for for it. Otherwise, everyone else is really good. Mm. But they, the, but that kind of I lets the side down. That yeah. Sarah Gadon, Sarah Gadon, who oh, the plays sis- um, the uh, sister. cousin. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, she is technically Dido's cousin, but they mm. sort of think of each other's other yeah, sisters yeah, yeah. and they're both raised by the same pseudo-parents. She's played by Sarah Goodon, who is Canadian. Uh-huh. And I didn't know that. I thought she did a very good British accent. Yeah, I would not have known. I, she wasn't familiar to me, but Gugu and Martha Raw, who plays Dido, was familiar to me as Martha Jones' sister. You didn't know that until no, I told you afterwards. but she looked familiar through the whole movie. I'm like, I know her. She's familiar to me because I watched the short-lived J.J. Abrams TV show Undercovers, which she starred in with Boris Kojo, and um, where she played an American spy, and she's amazing in that, and she was just gorgeous in that. And so I've quite liked her for a while now, and I haven't seen her in anything since Undercovers. Mm. Um, and so I was pleased when I found out that she was the lead in this movie, and I, she yeah. is really good. Mm. She has to carry this movie, and she has to portray quite a complex sort of character because she is someone who has a lot of um she's she has a lot of self-hatred built up over the years yeah which of course is because of society but um it was interesting to see that and see her sort of move from believing in the rules that she has been kept under but not quite understanding them to um challenging them yeah, that was a really interesting journey for me. I qu- and I thought she did a really good job of it, especially that scene where she's like grabbing at her skin and trying to rub all the all the brown off her skin. Such a good scene. I really liked yeah, that. That was amazing. Was amazing. I really, uh, yeah, I love that they've taken this character who is or was almost forgotten to history mm. and looked at her story and actually made something really interesting about interesting out of it. And I, I really liked that about her. And I thought she was wonderful. Yeah, um, I think what they sort of tried to do, I think, in this movie is um, I think they were aiming at a very specific set of people, mm. like who are basically just costume period drama fans. Mm. And they keep all of that melodrama of those period film relationships in. Like mm. Davinia and, um, and what's his name? Oh, Ashworth? Something like, yeah. Ashford? Ashford, Ashford something. Oliver? Oliver. Is his first yes, name? Oliver. Oliver. So they have Oliver and Davinier in opposition basically as like Darcy and 
Wickham. Huge. Wickham? Wickham. Is that who the other one is? Uh, yes. <laughs> What's in the in the um the Bridget Jones Diaries movies? It's Hugh Hugh Grant Grant who plays that character. Oh, I don't know what he's called in Bridget Jones. So I don't know. <laughs> I know my Pride and Prejudice. I'm not really that up on my Bridget Jones. No, I don't know I've it very seen well him, either. But, but for some reason, whenever I think of them, I think of like Darcy as being Colin Firth. Obvi. But he also plays Darcy in Bridget Jones' Diary, and then Wickham is – I guess the Wickham character in that is Hugh Grant. Possibly because I got why she liked Hugh Grant and I never got why she liked Wickham, and oh, that yeah. might be it, which is kind of the parallel to this one because you get why she would like um, Hugh, Hugh Grant's Oliver. character in uh, Bridget Jones is called Daniel Cleaver. There you go. Yeah. But, yeah, that was that's more the comparison that springs to mind for me because – in actual Pride and Prejudice, you're just like, well, why don't you just go out with Darcy? Mm. I mean, he's in that wet white shirt. Just go out with him. <laughs> yeah, whereas like, whereas in Bridget Jones, he's the, the kind of rakish, naughty one mm. has some appeal. Especially with that whole the ginormous pants thing and all that sort of thing. And that's what I mean. Like, He brings <laughs> wit and charm to that role as well, which mm. makes you like him, right. which is similar to this guy. Except the Colin Firth is actually a good actor and you like him by the end of the movie, whereas this one you're like, stop it, get out of my face. Mm. Why are you kissing her? <laughs> anyway, um, so what I thought they were doing was trying to introduce all of these political ideas to a group of women who watch these movies who don't necessarily think about it a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, some of it was a bit on the nose, for instance, when Elizabeth was like, oh, we're, as women, we're basically men's property. Yeah, I came home from it and... Uh, Jelly asked me what I thought of it, and my first word, the first word that I responded was pedagogical. <laughs> yeah, like it's really trying to teach you a lesson, and I think it's it's kind of tough because how often does a film by a black female director with black female lead telling an important historical story that's been overlooked get made? Not very often, and so I understand why it's important for it to tell the story, but it was so like it. You could show it to your high schoolers as mm-hmm. like a lesson in class and race and the intersection of that and the the economics and of slavery gender. and the economics of gender and how the beginnings of the capitalist system and the beginnings of liberalism, the age of enlightenment all come together. Like it's yeah. so many important historical bits and pieces that are kind of get – they have seem to have priority over the actual storytelling. Um, yeah, I, what I felt like is they were trying to balance that with the romantic stuff that people who watch these movies are used to. Yep. You know, like the romance is the storyline to keep you interested while all of this interesting stuff is happening. Mm. Um, and so for me, I felt like it got too melodramatic sometimes. Mm. And then it was a little oversimplified sometimes, particularly that, that line kind of grated on me because mm. I was like, well, you, you're already showing that. You don't have to tell us that on top of showing mm. us that. And also... Elizabeth isn't the character who would notice that. No. Like, she's she's not in full understanding of her situation. Do you not know what at I that mean? point, no. No. She could, she could be later when she realizes she has no money and she has to go out and, like, hustle for her husband. Yeah. But she hasn't quite got to that point yet, so it doesn't quite make sense for her to be teaching that lesson at that time. But, yeah, that, that whole – it kind of was a bit of a drag for me because I find the whole – like, this uh, – Zong case that's mm. going on in the background about the this murder of a ship full of slaves is incredibly fascinating mm. and all the stuff about Dido and her work involved with 
her uncle's case and what her uncle's going through and all this other stuff. That to me is really fascinating. And as a history buff, I'm totally into this. I the film that it most reminds me of is there's one about William Wilberforce that came out a few years ago called Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. And Wilberforce was another abolitionist in England, roughly contemporary. I don't know. I haven't actually looked it up. And it was similar kind of story, but it was all men and all about the sort of public political story of that. And this was way more interesting to me because it wasn't just a lot of men debating and mm. things going on in the in public life as opposed to private life. But it was just it was also this is about somebody who clunky. that actually affects. Yeah, exactly. It's not just like uh, white men who think they're so enlightened standing around debating about those people. It and was actually a real person for whom this had real world consequences. And that's the problem partly with the Davinia role. That's why you would need somebody really amazing in it is because he is that guy who's just standing around debating about it. Mm. And he's so self righteous about his mm. whole but black people are people too. And you're like, yeah, we know. Don't be so proud of yourself for figuring that one out. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, it, it, because he wasn't very well done. And I thought the script was a little bit weak in that, um, particularly in the dialogue. Not so much in the ideas it was trying to get across. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the dialogue itself was quite clunky, which was a bit sad because the ideas are so good and there's so many good things in it, mm. but they weren't always expressed the best way. Right, and which is why it made me think of some kind of – BBC school library production. Yeah, except, rather than, you know, better. Yeah, like better quality and stuff. Actually, speaking of tech, this is like one of the first films shot on a real 4K camera. Anyway, beside the point. Um, But the, um, yeah. I did notice it looked pretty. It was. It, did, it looked really good and obviously it had a decent budget and and some, some fairly good actors in it as well. Um, it was that was the whole clunkiness of it for me was that it was too obvious what was going on that it was too busy, obviously trying to give you a lesson in economics and history and feminism and racism and classism and history of slavery and how capitalism came to be and all that sort of stuff. What I feel like I think is that the director is a lot stronger than the script was. Like mm. her visual storytelling is fantastic. She does all these little things that I really appreciated. Like um, she has a shot of um, of Dido with her hands on her dress, like smoothing out her dress and then tensing up. That's, that's this kind of contrast between her skin and the dress and the um, and showing her own um, the the trappings of the society that she's in. Mm. Um, they did a lot of stuff like that where, like, with there was a shot of the back of her head that was focused on the ribbon that tied up the the pearls that she had on mm. and stuff like that that was really interesting because it, it focuses – putting that much focus on the costumes isn't just about how sh showing off how pretty the costumes are. It's about showing this society and all these representations of it and all the little details of getting everything right, you know, and all those rules and how you have to dress and how your hair has to be mm. and the way that that is defining her. And all that artifice. There's a uh, good scene later on where she meets uh, in, in the London house. They have a Welsh maid who is also black. Mm. And she meets her and Dido's never learned how to do her own hair mm. because there's no one with black hair around to help her work out how to do it. So, And it sort of doesn't make sense because we see her with perfectly done hair at other times. But basically the maid has to teach her how to do her own hair because there's been nobody around to help her with that. Well, I, I sort of wondered then if nobody had ever taught her how to do it rather than, like, she would have had people to do it for her. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. That was kind That's of what probably. I got from that. Yeah, in in any case, it was an, it's an important point about, like, the trappings and the mm. rules 
and, and how she can't fit in. And making that connection as well with another black woman who mm. I think is the first other black woman she's met in her life. It certainly is implied since, since that. Since she was taken away by her father. Yeah, yeah. and she's, she's mentioned that she doesn't really remember that. No. And so she's the first black woman she's met in her adult mm. life at least. Yeah, Mabel, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Mabel is really nice to her and they form a bond. Mm. And I thought that was nice. I liked that, that really the core relationships in the movie weren't just the romantic one. Mm. The relationship with her, um, her great uncle, who she calls, pa- um, papa mm. and her cousin sister yep. are equally important. Yep. And also I liked Emily Mortimer's role a lot. Yes, I did She too. was quite interesting. And I feel like the story of, the journey of Tom Wilkinson's character was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked all of the stuff about him, how he was radical when he was young and it got tempered as he got older and more pow- more powerful. Mm. And I liked that scene where Emily Mortimer pointed, pointed that out to him. Mm. That was a really good scene. Yeah. Well, and, and also his, again, his rhetoric versus what he, what he actually does that makes, that has consequences for him. There's a lot, of, it's, it's very easy to say things that are liberal and accepting and tolerant and all that kind of stuff, but to act, he acts, he has to actually he, what he does has consequences. Mm-hmm. So he has to actually get to a point where he not only says things like an enlightenment gentleman, but he actually has to act on that, which yeah. I think is is an important story for him. What you were saying before about showing my students, I think this would be a great movie to show in schools. Right, a really really good one because a lot of the ones that they see are all white guys, and they're not. Um, while they are also about important things, this one you would be able to unpick really easily. It would be really good for that sort of age group. Agree. Um, and it also has representation in it, mm-hmm. which would be really good for that age group just to see representation. Um, I'm hoping that it gets Ama Asante some um, notice as well because I think she's a really promising director. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of black female directors who have a lot of acclaim, and so I'm hoping this will really kick off a good career for her. Right and um yeah I agreed I think she's she's doing well I, I believe she rewrote the script which isn't quite as promising but she's certainly visually yes does a really good job with this material yeah and and I mean she's sort of she's got a couple of actors who probably aren't as good as some of her other actors that she's working with but she 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 does a really good job in terms of how it looks and how it's Hey, just remember it was supposed to be Sam Claflin. Yeah, and it is only her second film. <laughs> and also Tom Felton was was a smart choice, if not a particularly good one, because Tom Felton's going to bring some attention to the yeah. movie because he's attached to Harry Potter and he's Draco mm-hmm. Malfoy and no matter how much we think of him as an actor, he is still famous enough to get some recognition yeah. here. And he's certainly got a, a fan base there and it will and if you were showing it to your theoretical group of young people like in high school that would that it's a good shorthand for them because they know he's that they've got like Draco Malfoy they can sort of access that character quite easily and it would probably bring a little bit more interest for them yeah as well. exactly um, so there, it's just, it's not a it's not a bad choice I feel really bad that I t- called him a terrible actor but he just like because he is a really nice guy he's just he really is one note and I found it boring yeah it does make me wonder if he what he could do if he was challenged to be honest, like he clearly hasn't been. He's just he. I've seen him in three things, and he plays Draco Malfoy in everyone. And not just he plays Draco Malfoy because that's all he can do. That's all he's given to do. That's he always he plays the same guy. Days, yeah. 
Um, the other one was Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yep. Yeah. So he just does the same thing. And there is a moment where he's genuinely menacing in this as well. Yeah. Which is something that he can do. So Yes, he can. In spite of being a nice guy. I feel like I just want to talk about Gugumba Thoreau for like half an hour. We'll talk about her. It's She's fine. She's so great. You have like eight minutes, but you can talk about her for <laughs> half an hour if you like. She is really great. And I, I'm so excited to see her being challenged to carry a film as well. Mm-hmm. She's done a lot of like she had her own TV show for a while, I suppose. But there's she's a lot of and she was really good stuff. in that. Um, yeah. you haven't seen Undercovers, but but no, under her it. role in Undercovers is light years away from this. Mm. For one thing, she's American, mm. but she's also she's a spy. She's um she's so it's it was kind of like did you see the Americans? I didn't, but I know what you're talking oh. about. It's kind of like a lighthearted The Americans. Yeah. Like they're trying to cope with being married and then getting back into the spy game and how that affects their their marriage, um, which was, you know, the better stuff on that show. Yeah, obviously um, she's really talented. And, and it had um, – Can do a lot of stuff. Um, what's his name? Jean something or other from Parks and Rec? Oh, Jean Ralphio. Jean Ralphio in it. It's not the actor's name, but – Ben yeah. Schwartz. Ben Schwartz, the actor's yeah. name. Um, with a husband and wife? No, no. Her husband was Boris Kojo. Oh, okay, um, right. So it had two black leads. Mm. Um, ben Schwartz was their like FBI nerd guy. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so that's where I recognize him from too. Like yeah. there's a whole bunch of people. Um, and I thought that show had promised and I feel like part of its cancellation was down to racism. Yeah. Um, the fact that it even got on the air at all was kind of due to J.J. Abrams being the producer. Yeah. And the fact that J.J. Abrams used to be so um, – so interested in diversity when he was on TV makes me even more angry about the Star Wars casting. When was Undercovers though? Is that recent or is it like two thousand seven? Okay, so it is quite like some time ago now. Yeah, so yeah. It was back when he was still mostly in TV. Well, yeah, that's the, the thing. Like he did Lost, during which Lost, had a yeah. hugely diverse cast. Right. Um, most of the leads were white people, but you know the the cast, the wider cast, was quite diverse. Mm. He did um, Felicity and Alias. And they were both good female characters for different reasons. Mm. But Alias is famously, you know, Sydney Bristow is a rather famous Yeah, but then when he's character. gotten into these big studio-backed franchises like Star Trek and Star Wars, yeah. he's, a, yeah. Become very sexist and racist. Well, yeah, it's, it's sort of like he... so in the case of Star Trek. And now, of course, Star Wars... Yeah, it's almost like he hasn't... Um, he's just not willing to or able to stand up to the pressure that's being put on him from being involved in a much bigger production. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I know, but that's the thing is that it, it was funny to me because I'm trying to adjust to this this new reality because in my head, J.J. Abrams is a really is really good for diversity. Yep. He did Undercovers, Lost, Alias, and Felicity. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Fringe. Yeah. Which had a female lead. Yeah, Fringe um, was had the only um, female was black undercovers. queer woman on TV at that time. Yeah, mm. um, 2010 was undercovers. Okay, so it's it's yeah a few years ago now, but not. It's, but that's, that's after, after Star the first Star Trek. Trek. But then again, the yeah. first Star Trek, because they were doing a straight re- reboot, means that there wasn't a lot of diversity in the casting because of what they were trying to do with that. Mm. And I know it would have been neat if they had recast, like if they had gender swapped or something. But this wasn't TV. This was them no. trying to make a really big franchise. And they, it was trying to get um, Star Trek to a mainstream audience. Yeah. So it seems like it all sort of has gone downhill with Star Trek 2 and then Into Darkness and then now with the Star Wars casting, yeah. which and is I mean, so, and so disappointing. It's one of those interesting stories where 
you, actually you and I were talking about this the other day because I'd read an article on it where up and coming creative people make their name and make their get breakthrough on the backs of people of color like they were that their early work their, their breakthrough work they're hiring a lot of diverse actors and women and people of color and then once they go mainstream that means white i feel like there must be a huge um a huge part of the problem must be the studio the networks and the studios right. yeah. it has to be because this is like where jj abrams was a big name on television and could probably sway the networks a little he isn't in films, no. or he wasn't. Um, he is sort of now, but the, there must be huge, ridiculous amounts of pressure. And like, if you don't do this, then you won't get to make the movie. If you don't do that, then mm. you won't get to make it. Oh yeah, you know, um, we can only have this many of this. We can only, we can't have two girls. It's distracting, kind of yeah. bullshit that they might sprain him. But it's it, that's the same. But what I'm trying to say is, I'm actually I can link this back to Bell because it's about an economic system that's reliant on the labour of black people and women but gives men all the glory, gives mm-hmm. the white men all the glory, and and is then the white men are considered, you know, the important people of the era. Oh. Yeah, and that's always always the way, isn't it? Once yeah. you get into the big leagues, yeah, they're sort of like <laughs> they just want to maintain the status quo. Right. And uh, the Star Wars thing as well, if I, I know it's a tangent, but um, I made the mistake of commenting on one of the articles on a site that uh, where I was just like, and it, I didn't think it was a particularly um, a particularly incendiary comment. I was mm. like, fifty-one percent of the population is female, and yet there's only one in seven new female uh, new mm. cast members who is female. Right, that doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. And I got like ten responses from one was one or two were sort of positive, and the rest were all like, yeah, but this, and yeah, but that, uh-huh. but it's a war story. It's one of the ones that I got. Wow. It's about war and it's about fighting and that's yeah. not what girls do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the, don't take it so seriously, it's just a movie. And I'm like, oh, you're boy. replying to my comment on an article about a movie. Clearly you're into it too. Um, oh, boy. All of this sort of, concentrate on real life problems. Nobody cares. It's not important. All this sort of thing. But I just thought it was really, like, I tend to stay in safe places yeah. <laughs> to do that sort of thing. And it was really strange to see it. And then, of course, there was the one that said, um, yeah, but don't forget, it's based on the original trilogy, which was made in 1977. And the the end of that day, I went to comment on it and I saw that somebody had already said, apparently, it's still 19, 1977 at Pinewood. As well as J.J. Abrams, there's some people like, I believe George Lucas is still involved somehow, but more importantly, people like Kathleen Kennedy and Steven Spielberg. He's still not around. really, as far as I know, because yeah. he just sold it. Which anyway. is probably a really good thing. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody probably. is worse for Star Wars than George Lucas. <laughs> no, really. Like he has very, very good skills at world building. Yeah, he's not a bad director. Yeah, he's not the best director there is either, because you know the prettiest of the original trilogy was not directed by George Lucas. No, but in terms of like the minutia of actually managing it, he's terrible. He's a terrible writer of characters and dialogue and that sort of thing. You know, he's genuinely t- dreadful. Yeah. But even if he's not around, the Kathleen Kennedys and uh, Steven Spielberg's and those kind of people of the world are, have come up in a very different era of boys' adventures and boys' movies and it being a giant boys' club. Again, you would think, you know, with a, a high-profile and extremely powerful female producer like Kathleen Kennedy, they might have been able to push a little bit more diversity, but apparently not. 
There's just none. Yeah. I mean, there is. There's there's two non-white people. And one woman. And one woman. Mm. Like, that's their whole quota. All the others have to be white men. You've already filled up your whole quota of, of non-white men. Mm. Plus you get the um, the original cast reprising the roles, which is one woman and, like, six white men. I think well, there's one man with a disability. And coming back. Yeah, they don't. And then what, there's, like, one man with a disability. Yes, but he's playing a robot. I do wonder how many of the new cast members will be playing aliens and robots. When you were talking earlier about Lupita perhaps being involved, Lupita Nyong'o, her character is an alien. Yes, Asajj Ventress. I don't think that – I actually personally think it would be quite good to have representation in playing non-human characters. Well, exactly. playing non-human characters. If you're not – like. It, it, these are like completely new invented characters and worlds. Why not have women and people from diverse backgrounds? Like you need to re, it's reimagine, use sci-fi for what it can be used for, which is to reimagine the world, not Yeah, like the Jane Espenson it. quote yeah. about having uh, the same old problems. I have to find that. Yeah, sometime. we'll find that and um, link it in the show notes. But yeah, that's exactly it. Like it would be, it. I think it's really good because why would all of the robots and aliens be male? There's no sense in that. That doesn't make sense. No. And I think it's really good to have women get to play, you know, mm. really cool aliens like Karen Gillan's role in the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy. She looks awesome in mm. that. Well, yeah, when I saw the uh, Lupita rumor, that was what I thought of. Mm. But Asajj Ventress is also um, a bad guy. She's a villain. Uh, as is um, Karen Gillan's character. Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. why, why I brought her up. She's a bald villain. Mm. And she could be a lot of fun. And it would be good to see somebody with Lupita Nyong'o's talent playing somebody that important Mm -hmm. i also thought of kim possible when i heard it because she was the what's it called the padawan to to count dooku asajj ventress was and count dooku is um the um christopher lee role yeah from the other trilogy and in kim possible there's a um the bad guy has a female assistant can't remember what her name is, but she's about a million times more competent than he is. And so yep. she's the real bad guy and he's kind of the buffoon. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be fun to see her as like the real bad guy. It could work. I was going to say, but Count Dooku's too many years he'd ago. He'd be and, dead. Yeah, he'd be long dead. Mm. So she'd be older and oh, I don't know. And it does, I guess it doesn't matter. She's an alien. It doesn't matter how old she is in human yes. years. She could be. That was one of the things age. that I saw. They were like, but she'd be too old. And somebody was like. Dude, Yoda was 900 in Star Wars. Yeah, like, <laughs> alien years work differently. It's I'm sure they can get around that. Yeah. That actually oh, okay. reminds me of my whole Cookie Monster rant. I just don't understand why like, they temporarily changed it so that he ate vegetables and cookies were sometimes food. And I'm like, he's a Cookie Monster. I'm pretty sure that his staple food is cookies. Okay. <laughs> he's yes. a monster who says that, that yeah, his rules puppet d- monsters have right. to follow the same rules as humans. Human that rules makes don't no sense. apply to us. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it's also very um, individualistic approach to nutrition and it's not addressing systemic issues. It's just making it all about individual choices, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Well, yeah, putting aside the social issues, though, he's a monster. Yeah, exactly. We can invent him as whatever we want. He can eat what he wants. Anyway. That's part His of- whole body is different to ours. From one thing, <laughs> it has a hand up in it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. From one thing, it has a hand up in it. <laughs> It does. Mm. That's what his body is mostly made out of. A hand and some fur and stuff. 
that's what it is. Fair enough, fair enough. Could Why would stuff. he have to eat the same thing as humans? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Anyway. Um, so the movie we're actually reviewing <laughs> was Belle. It has a lot to do with cooking monster. Well, I mean, we got there through logical steps. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Bell, yeah. which is, I know, a fairly far cry from Star Wars, but that casting announcement did happen this week, and I've been angry about it all week. So mm. it, It's all related in, in our favourite topics here on the show, which is stuff about representation and women and And how, Lupita Nyong'o. <laughs> yeah, and how film is horribly unreflective of the real world. So, so what did we hit on? We hit on Lupita Nyong'o, we hit on Harry Potter, we hit on The Hunger Games. All relevant. Lots of our favourite topics. All relevant, <laughs> and they all. Though. They're all connected to this one. Somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, do you want to give it a score? Um, I gave Belle three and a half out of five stars. Three and a half. I give it three out okay. of five. Because, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, not great, but it's promising, I think. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, we should wrap up the show, I suppose, unless you have anything else you want to say. Usually, you're at this point, you're like, oh, wait, I have more to say. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> no, I don't think I have anything. I... I I think I covered all of the important topics that I wanted to talk about. Okay, good. Well, then, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you want to read our show notes or find our old episodes, you can do that on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's blog where she reviews all of the movies she watches, you can do that at silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. We are on Twitter. uh, Nope, that's not our Twitter name. At screen underscore queens. We're on Facebook. And you can find us at tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.